at the movies. Hello, one. Hello, all. My name's Bryony, and you're listening to Martes at the movies. You find me right now, overflowing with happiness, because my friend's parents have brought me Cadbury's Marvelous Creations chocolate, the pink one, obviously, the pop and candy one, all the way from Northern Ireland. And I'm tearing up a little bit because of the last film I watched, Dead Poets Society. When I'm not putting my English Lit degree to some form of good use and spotting poetry references in 90s films, I'm sorting my stupidly long movie soundtracks playlist into top 10 lists. In fact, the whole premise of this podcast is highly subjective and also probably inaccurate because I have no magic formula with which to order the songs, except for really my own personal taste. Martes, mar, 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 Martes at the movies. Last week, I talked about the best movie villain songs, but don't worry if you missed what has been my favourite episode to date, because you can head over to It's Just Bry on YouTube and listen to a playlist of all of the songs. Y'all agreed that the songs were great fun, with Tony particularly excited to hear the Heffalumps and Woozles song as part of it, and you guys had a few good suggestions to throw into the mix as well. Becky suggested In the Dark of the Night, Rasputin's evil plan song from Anastasia. Tom went for Trust in Me, the horribly hypnotic song from the Jungle Book. Trust in me, just in me, shut your eyes And Donald thought I could have included the wonderfully stylish Miss Baltimore Crabs from Hairspray. You can love, but life's a test. Don't do this, don't do that. Remember, mother knows best. For the crowns in the vault from when I won Miss Baltimore Crabs. That's the perfect ammunition. Let me show you how your mommy dear took out the competition. Want your suggestion or even just your thoughts or commentaries to be featured on next week's episode? Then get in touch. Let me know what you liked, disliked, and what I missed out by tweeting me at it's just by one small caps, no spaces, and the digit one, or by hitting me up on the Marty's at the Movies page on either Facebook or WordPress. You, yes, you, you can be part of this week's conversation. We're talking about the best performances from fictional movie bands and choirs. And now it's time for the highly subjective and probably inaccurate top ten list of the week. Almost everyone's got a favourite band, choir or other type of musical ensemble, right? Whatever the style of music that you like, across every genre, from country to hip-hop, by way of choral and opera and classic rock, for generations upon generations, people have been coming together to make music. And it's great, the whole collaborative process. You spark ideas off one another, you form a bond with other members of your band or your choir, you all come together as a team. It's also perhaps a reason why it's sometimes more fun to follow a fictional band or choir than a real-life one. Unless you're Louis Tomlinson and Zayn Malik, real-life issues within a band usually stay private. Usually. And we as the consuming audience, we often aren't aware of exactly what goes on behind the scenes. We see the polished, finished product, the music videos and shiny CDs, the professional concerts, not all the exhaustion, fights, struggles and hard work behind it all. Not so when we follow a fictional band or choir, however. 
We get to know the personalities of the characters, the dynamics of the group. We see them go through auditions, lead-ups to big competitions, single releases, let-downs, whatever it may be. And of course, there's the big main performance, showcasing just who they are as a group. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Those big performances which give our favourite fictional bands their time to shine. We watch them develop, feel and grow. And now it's time for my top 10 list of best performances by movie bands and choirs. What better way to start than with the definitive film about coming of age whilst you're on tour with a rock band? I mean, we've all been there, right? (laughs) This is from the film Almost Famous. It's a wonderful semi-autobiographical piece of work from Cameron Crowe, based loosely on his own experiences as a teenage writer for Rolling Stone, in which he toured America with a whole host of bands, including massive big-name hitters like the Eagles and Led Zeppelin. He met his heroes and he fell in love. In the movie, the band in question is kind of a compilation of all of the bands that Crowe toured with, and it's named Stillwater. This performance is Stillwater opening a massive arena tour for Black Sabbath, and William, the main character, and our eyes into the world of the band, he gets to watch the performance of their song Fever Dog from the side of the stage. It's a visceral moment. William is right there in the thick of it. He's getting told to put his notebook away, just live in the moment and enjoy the atmosphere, the thrill and the rush that come from your first time getting to be right there in the middle of the action. I would imagine. Never actually been on the side of the stage in a big arena tour, though, unsurprisingly. Someday. Someday. The film does a great job, though, of catching that buzz. And no wonder. The actors that formed the fictional band Stillwater practised for four hours a night, five nights a week, for six weeks, to really create the sound, the dynamic of a band. It features over 50 songs from the hugest rock bands around. Almost Famous is all about the music, and this performance is an electric way to begin this week's list. Number nine is another film that claims to be fiction, but is in fact heavily drawn from real-life experience. In this case, the career of America's most successful vocal group ever, The Supremes. So our group in the movie is a soul Motown girl group based on The Supremes, and they're called The Dreams. (laughs) The film was also originally titled Dream Girls. They worked hard on that one, huh? Okay, so this is an emotional one. Over the 13 years of this film, the group has countless ups and downs, manipulations and falling outs, member changes and problems, more even than the sugar babes. But the final performance of their signature song, also originally titled Dream Girls, is the one that brings the house down. It's an especially wonderful chance to perform for Jennifer Hudson's Effie, who goes through not just a roller coaster of emotions, but like an entire theme park of emotions in this movie. And not even a good theme park, not like a Disney style theme park, which is the happiest place on earth and everyone sings It's a Small World. And not even a Thorpe Park adrenaline pumping style theme park, but an abandoned, rusty, unsafe, and scary theme park. This metaphor is getting out of hand. <laughs> Anyway, Hudson reportedly beat out 782 other actresses for this role. I'll let that sink in for a second. Okay, she beat out 782 other actresses. And it's more than justified. This song isn't her big empowering ballad number that sends everyone searching for tissues, but it is the group's best performance as a whole, and a properly rising one at that. Hey, hey. 
The next film is one of the most interesting and innovative films that I've ever seen, by which I mean that it's nothing like anything I've ever seen before. The soundtrack is a brilliantly messy collection of songs from alt-rock, garage, punk bands, and performances from the main character's band, Sex Bob-omb. And the coolest performances are the ones which take the form of a duel. A duel, you ask? So, okay. If you haven't seen Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, then go out and watch it, because it's so creative. Scott lives in a heightened, video game-inspired world, in which to be with this girl Ramona that he meets, he has to first defeat her seven evil exes. To defeat evil exes six and seven, the Katayanagi twins, the Katayanagi twins, the Kata... the Kat... the... the Katayanagi twins. I have no idea. Scott and his band take part in a huge band battle in which they play their song Threshold. This is a brilliant performance by a fictional band because it's a battle of the bands in both the figurative and the very literal sense. As they compete, giant electric monsters rise up and fight each other according to how well the bands play, and it's a spectacular scene. Also, the song is annoyingly catchy. It starts with the highly amusing lyric, this is the beginning of the song. The band gets up and wins even after the twins' monsters knock them head over heels, destroy their lights and make a huge hole in the roof. And they have a female drummer, which is always extra points in my book. Seven, seven. This one's for my dad, in honour of all those car journeys we had to go on with this song being blasted at full volume, and him singing it even louder. It's from a film by the wonderful Coen brothers called Oh Brother Where Art Thou, in which three convicts escape from prison in the 1930s and go on the run, having steadily more and more ridiculous adventures in their attempts to avoid recapture. In one such moment, they hear that a local radio station is giving money to people who will sing for them, and so they visit the blind DJ, and forming a band called the Soggy Bottom Boys, they sing a version of the old folk bluegrass style song, Man of Constant Sorrows. Brilliantly, in the film, the song becomes a wildly popular smash hit for the unidentified Soggy Bottom Boys, and this was actually also duplicated in real life. In real life, the years-upon-years-old song enjoyed a revival in popularity and massive amounts of success because of this film. The soundtrack went platinum like eight times and won a Grammy for Album of the Year in 2002. And, right, the fictional band, the Soggy Bottom Boys, became so popular that all of the musicians behind the soundtrack got together and performed the soundtrack for a concert tour. Not half bad for a fake band performed by a couple guys just trying to stay out of prison. Prepare to cry at this one. It's another one of those inspiring teacher comes to a school and changes the lives of all of the students through his different outlook on life kind of films. Just in fact like Dead Poet Society. And those kind of films always get me claiming that someone has been cutting onions in the room next door. This film is both sentimental and continental as it comes all the way from... Our next door neighbour, France. The inspirational teacher in question is a music teacher who arrives at a school for troubled boys and ends up brightening up the school and very positively impacting the lives of the students by starting a choir. The film is called Les Choristes, or The Chorus, and this song, La Nuit, is my favourite performance by the choir. 
Holmes Choir faces a lot of trials and at one point is even forced to disband. But this particular scene is an absolute triumph for them because they perform for a big group of people, including a countess who is one of the patronesses of the school, and they manage to enchant her and everybody else there, just with the beauty and the purity of it all. And it's just lovely and it makes me very happy, sad, and we should move on to something less beautiful before it all gets too much for me. Five. Five. Thankfully, I've got just the thing with one of the most ridiculous songs ever committed to film by a fictional rock band. Admittedly, there probably aren't that many, but even if there were, this song would definitely be up there. This fictional rock band takes being a fictional rock band beyond the normal parameters of being a fictional rock band by existing firstly as a fictional rock band in a TV pilot, then going on to star in a mockumentary about the fictional rock band themselves, and then even touring around as the fictional rock band. Catch that? Um, This band is called Spinal Tap, the subject of fake documentary This Is Spinal Tap, which gloriously sends up all the conventions of rockumentaries as it follows the band on a pretty ill-fated tour. This performance is the hilariously and painfully awkward moment in which the band attempt to generate more support by performing an epic song entitled Stonehenge. Stonehenge, where the demons dwell, where the banshees live and they do live well. So the plan is for this song to be the big moment of the show, pulling out all the stops in an attempt to make it a huge, lavish number. But then a mishap with the props and the backing dancers and just about everything associated with it, really, makes the band a laughingstock. Not so in real life, however. The fictional band became somewhat less fictional, with the actors performing as the band on numerous occasions and very much blurring the lines between fiction and reality and confusing everyone as to whether or not the band was real. They've done amazingly, however, playing at Glastonbury and even having a one-night-only world tour at Wembley. Yeah, a one-night-only world tour. Something for us all to aspire to. Four is another twist on the patented, unusual teacher that shakes up a school premise. Except, instead of doing it through the creation of a choir for the kids, he does it through the means of a completely different type of music ensemble, namely a rock band. The film is therefore conveniently titled The School of Rock. And here's the band performing in the Battle of Bands competition at the end of the film with the entertainingly lazily titled song, School of Rock. For some reason, kids singing beautifully in a choir doesn't surprise me. It just seems natural that they can harmonise wonderfully together and hit ridiculously high notes. But ten-year-olds being able to play electric guitar, drums and bass? Now that's a different matter. The fact that the kids in this band all really play their own instruments and do their own vocals amazes me to no end. And some were even too good for the film and had to tone it down. Miranda Cosgrove, who would later go on to iCarly fame, was 10 when this movie was filmed and was actually already too good a singer for her role of Summer and had to take a 45-minute singing lesson to teach her how to fake singing badly. The fact that this fictional band is full of young kids completely rocking out and just owning the battle of the bands to the amazement of all the watching parents and teachers, that makes this fictional band easily one of the bands on the list which puts the biggest smile on my face. Three, three. If we're talking hidden talent, then what about the nuns in 1992's hilarious sister act? 
Upon first seeing the atmosphere of the convent, I highly doubt that anyone would think them capable of building out amazing gospel rock and roll style adaptations of famous choral numbers. And yet under the tutelage of Whoopi Goldberg's sister Mary Clarence, the fusty choir gets a complete change-up of style and energy, resulting in lots of enormously fun musical numbers, particularly the end number, I Will Follow Him, which is performed in front of an absolutely packed church, including none less than the Pope himself in the audience. This one's bound to put a smile on your face. Everyone loves an underdog story, and one in which a seemingly dull, stuck-in-the-past group of nuns are suddenly able to burst out these incredible tunes, brilliant harmonies, soul-infused runs. It perfectly fits that bill. Their energy and enthusiasm are just entirely infectious. You can't help but participate in some way, be it clicking your fingers, tapping your toes, or nodding your head. Plus, in another nice example of life-imitating art... The end credits show Sister Clarence continuing to lead the choir, now as a famous celebrity on the cover of countless magazines. And the Rolling Stones cover showing that features Goldberg on the front is 100% real. Two, two. This one is for everyone who's grown up reading the seven books and eagerly awaiting the eight films that make up the wonderful Harry Potter series. There probably isn't another series which has so defined our generation in the way that Harry Potter has. It's a cultural touchstone, it's a reference point, both wildly, wildly popular and yet seemingly so personal for us all as well. Everyone has some kind of story to tell about one of the books, movies, theme parks, characters, merch, and I don't even know what else. My favourite Harry Potter movie is easily The Goblet of Fire, and it just so happens to feature a fictional band by the name of the Weird Sisters, so named in honour of the three witches from Shakespeare's Macbeth. This band is mentioned throughout the books, and in the movie they crop up at the Yule Ball to play their smash hit, Do the Hippogriff. It's a stupidly fun ode to dancing like many mythical creatures and a nice departure from the impending doom and gloom that steadily threatens to overcome everything in the film. Plus, it's a super grip like no other. The band in the film is played by members of both Pulp and Radiohead, which is probably the best cameo of the century. It's deliciously good fun and a very worthy number two on this week's list. One, one. That just leaves number one, which I'm going to give to the surprise hit film series of the moment. Acapella has never, to my mind, been exactly cool in the eyes of the world. But then Anna Kendrick and co came along, she sat down on the stage and started tapping on a cup and singing, and all of a sudden everyone from your friend's aunt's brother to your grandma's cat wants to learn how to tap a cup and sing at once. I'm talking of course about 2012's Pitch Perfect, the sequel to which has just very recently been released, and it made more in its opening weekend than the first film did in its entire run in cinemas. The Barden Bellas and underdog all-female acapella group have made acapella cool again, with chart-topping soundtrack sales and unprecedented success. The first film is chock-full of brilliantly rewatchable performances, but none amaze quite as much as the final number, a wonderfully intricate mashup performed by the Bellas at the National Acapella Championships. It's not about the money, money, money. We don't need your money, money, money. We just want to make the world pay. 
I remember sitting with my mouth wide open the first time I saw this. Firstly, because some of the sounds they managed to create are so fantastic that I can't quite believe there were no instruments involved and that it all came from their mouths. And secondly, because the medley somehow manages to cram in at least one line from just about every song that's been mentioned or sung up until this point in the movie. It manages to be wildly entertaining and it even manages to further the plot through the inclusion of Don't You Forget About Me, which serves as an indirect apology from Becca, the main character, to Jessie, her love interest. It's just chock full of things. It's an incredibly impressive number. The movie pulls it off with aplomb and I think it's a wonderful performance to end the list with. Martes at the movies. Oh, and there you have it. Those are my top 10 performances by fictional movie choirs or bands. What did you think? What songs do you like? What songs do you dislike? What do you agree, disagree with? What songs did I miss out on? Tweet me at It's Just Bry1, Facebook me and WordPress me at Martyrs at the Movies, and don't forget to go over to It's Just Bry on YouTube and check out a playlist of all of this week's featured songs. Next week, I'm going to be talking about some brilliant songs which were used in terrible films. So get practicing a very confused face in order to listen to that and express both your joy at how good the songs are and disgust at how terrible the movies are. Until then, may the force be with you, the odds be ever in your favour, and I'll see you next Martis.